If you would, take your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I've had the uh, privilege of uh, just being with some godly men this past weekend. Uh, Since Thursday night, the elders got together and uh, we just spent a concentrated time on thinking through um, just the direction of Daniel's Bible Church and just thinking through... um, what the Lord has in mind, and it's uh, really uh, a search through Scripture, because the Word of God that that uh, is the direction that we want to go here at Daniel's Bible Church. This book is the uh, the the blueprint for our church, and we want to know this blueprint well. And so the leaders of this church got together this weekend and really just had a wonderful time being together, thinking through spiritual things. And uh, these guys are so fun to be with. Um, uh, you just, it's hard to be serious when, uh, when Dave Harvey is there just cracking jokes and making little comments. I mean, if you know Dave, he, just the way he is. And, and uh, Jason and, and Dave uh, Alderman were with us, and uh, we were just, uh, just had a wonderful time. And uh, really, it just caused us to think, think. Biblically, that's what we want to do. Think biblically about every aspect of our life. We have been uh, we have been moving through this book of Ephesians, and we are in Ephesians four now. Ephesians chapter four, verses seventeen, eighteen, and nineteen—just three verses—and um, we are moving slowly because we want to know the mind of God, the mind of Christ that has been laid out in this book. And we want that mind to be in us. So, let me begin reading Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become calloused, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Let me just open with a word of prayer. Father, we revere this book because we revere You. It is Your grace that taught us how to fear And then it's your grace that relieved our fears. What what an incredible thought that we've just sung. But Lord, we come before you humble, humbly recognizing that you are are the powerful, the awesome God. and, And we stand before you. The only thing that we can do to honor you is to to read your word back to you, to explain your word, to revel in your word. Because it's, it's the light of our life. It, it gives us direction. It gives us hope. It gives us peace and rest for our mind. It gives us encouragement. Lord, we thank You for it. And Lord, as I expound on this Word to, today, Lord, may we understand it. May it become clear to us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my wife and I uh, lived in California, as you know, for a few years, for about four years. And on our way back from California, when we were moving to Pennsylvania, we had the opportunity to go to the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon is a magnificent sight. You've seen pictures of the Grand Canyon. And uh, when we arrived to the Grand Canyon, it was we, we drove just almost right up to it, the parking lot there, we, we get out, we walk over to the, the main overlook, and we were amazed. So we get out the camera, we get out the video, well, this video camera back then, I don't know what it is today. It's just... so, And we're taking pictures, and we're looking at these, uh, or you know, looking through the camera, taking videos, DVDs or movies. What do you call that these days? Anyway... All of a sudden, we hear, little boy, don't climb up there. Don't crawl up there. And 
of course, <laughs> we're parents of four kids. There's no chance in this world that they're talking about one of our little boys. We're good parents. But we put down the cameras and looked, and our little two-year-old is climbing up on the banks. I mean, this is the edge of the Grand Canyon. Yeah. And I'm teaching a parenting class. Not good. But we're looking at the beauty of this Grand Canyon. And we forget it's a canyon. This is a big ditch. (laughs) There's danger. And we need to be aware. We weren't aware. We weren't conscious. We We were overwhelmed by the beauty and the magnificent scene before our eyes. And we forgot, oh yeah, we've got little kids that we've got to rein in. And we just, uh, and of course we go away complaining, oh, they need to have more guardrails. They need, they need more attentive parents, I think. You know, sometimes we can blur the danger sometimes because of the beauty that we see. And we, uh, we, all, we lived in Pennsylvania as well, and we, we um, would go to Gettysburg every once in a while, and it really is a beautiful place. If you haven't been, it's a... If you get the opportunity to go, it's a beautiful little valley. And, and uh, uh, But we forget that there was a great battle fought there. And when you look at the, the pictures, and there's plenty of pictures through the, through the um, uh, museum, you see the carnage, you see the death that battle brings. And you forget about the beauty of that scene, and you realize, wow... And as Abraham Lincoln said, this is hallowed ground. Not that we have hallowed it today, but, but they did this through their own death. And you realize the, the gravity of being in, the, in a place like that and the danger on that field. Sometimes we fail to see that. And I believe that that's what Paul's getting at today. He gives us a grave picture of an ungodly lifestyle. But sometimes we look at our own, we look at the world and it's inviting, it's enticing. And we think, oh, this is beautiful, this is great. And Paul is throwing up the red flag, hold on, wait, danger, warning. And that's what Paul's kind of doing here. And these, just these three verses. And it comes just in a, and this warning comes in a reminder of kind of the way we were. And frankly, it's a scary picture. And its picture should scare us to death. Let's just look slowly now through this passage. Verse 17. So this I say. And what Paul's doing there is he's coming to a conclusion. He's bringing his argument to a conclusion. To a summary. And, and it actually points back to verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, Therefore, summing up again, the I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And he brings us back to that concept of walking worthy of your calling. And he, and he kind of sums up again, just so that, so this I say, as a result of all that I've said in chapters 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and even half of chapter 4, I want to, I want to just implore you. I want to uh, throw up a red flag. I want to warn you about something. But, remember, it's in light of what God has done for us. That the fact that He has given us every spiritual blessing. That He has given us spiritual life. He has brought us near to Him. Remember those precious principles that Paul laid out earlier? He brought us near. He placed us in His family. And it is God's power that is evidently working within us to bring this about. He has placed us in the body of Christ. He has unified us. And He has gifted us so that that body can grow. So Paul then is just simply saying, since God has done this, for us, then we need to match what God has done for us with a worthy walk. And Paul is just bringing that to our attention. So really chapters 4, 5, and 6 is a reminder to walk worthy of this calling. And that's the, that's the, the real 
push of these next three chapters, to walk worthy of the calling of which we have been called. And Paul is saying, so this I say, in in summing up, it's almost saying, now out of gratitude, out of gratitude for what God has done for you, placing you in this body, giving us this unity that we have in Christ and the diversity that that we have through the gifts, he is now saying, now walk worthy with gratitude. And the gratitude comes in when we remember what God has done for us. He says, so then I say. It's just a logical conclusion. And then he gives us, he gives us the command. Now we don't see too many commands here uh, in the book of Ephesians, especially until you get to chapter 4, and then you, then you begin to see a command. And it's a command that we walk worthy of our calling. And then he calls us to, to keep in step. In early chapter 4. And to preserve the unity. And to exercise the gifts that God has called us to exercise within the body. And to, to yield to that power that is in, within us. and Working within us. And then all of that is just keeping in step with what God is doing. That's the force of this, this whole book. But then there's something that Paul needs to say. Something that Paul needs to remind us of. And that is our own sinfulness look on though verse 17 so this I say and affirm together with the Lord affirm together with the Lord Paul's not making this up he's just affirming what God is Christ has already said if you are a disciple of Christ if you are a Christian and you already have this command, and God has called us, go and teach the baptized and teaching them whatever I have commanded you. And this is just a reminder that Paul has, or that Christ has spoken these things. This is the same principle that Christ gave in his ministry. And I'm reminded of the verse that Christ said. He says, No one having put his hand to the plow and looked back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. And you'll see how that applies in this passage. Christ Himself warns us. There's a warning there. Christ also reminds us that there will be fruit in our lives. By their fruit you shall know them. And He calls us to live godly lives. He says in the Sermon on the Mount, to be holy like your Father who is in heaven is holy. So it's a reminder to to walk worthy. It's a reminder reminder to to let our conduct and our behavior glorify and honor the Lord. So he says, this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, and here's the command, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. Now there's an implication here. The implication is, is that you used to walk this way. In fact, he's talking to these believers, and he can say that, state that with confidence, because it's just the truth. We all used to walk this way. The implications are very clear. We used to walk just like the Gentiles also walked. And the term Gentiles here is referring, ethnos is the the nations, maybe the races, so he's, he's not choosing a particular race, but he's just emphasizing the rest of the world walks this way. Essentially, it just means the unsaved, the unbeliever, the unregenerate, the unregenerate heart. Those who are not born again, those who are not in the family, this is the way they walk. This is the way they conduct themselves. And, and I will remind you that the word walk really is a lifestyle. It's a way of life. It's the way we conduct ourselves. It's our behavior. It's our, our, our daily actions, the things, that we, the things that we do. And what he does with this passage, and notice it's stated in the, in, the negative, in the negative, that you no longer walk as the Gentiles are. He could have said, just, just walk like Christ. Just be like Christ. Just be holy. But he has something else in mind here. He's wanting to throw it in the negative so we'll be reminded of the walk we used to walk. The things we used to do. The behavior that we used to have. And so don't walk like the Gentiles also, or used to walk. Don't walk that way. Um, 
He's just saying that the believer, now that you're a believer, you're in the minority. You're going upstream. This is the way the nations walk. You are not to walk this way. You're to have a different conduct in life. So we don't conduct ourselves like the unsaved. But you know what? What's our tendency? Our tendency is to go back to that lifestyle, isn't it? To just say, okay, I'm a Christian now, but it never changes our life. It never changes our conduct. We never do anything different. And sometimes we have to answer, actually ask the question, why, Lord? Why? Why do I keep doing these things that I don't want to do? So Paul throws up this reminder. It's a negative thing. And it's, it should be scary. It should be a reminder of what God has, has rescued us from. They do not continue to do the same actions in light of what God has done for them. That you no longer walk just as the Gentiles also walk. Now, just by way of application, are you still walking as though Christ has done nothing in your life? Are you still trying to revert back to your old behavior? And this, pick up this lifestyle that you used to have, have these value system that you used to have, the, thing, the same things that were important to you back then are still important to you today? Well, if that's the case... You have to examine some things here. Paul is saying this is what the Gentiles do. This is what you used to do. And so, uh, so there's an implied warning here. Um, are we just, sometimes we just seem to add Christ to our busy lifestyle. Add church or add religion to our busy lifestyle. Because there's some benefits to it. Man, our children are a lot more well behaved when we go to church practically then tells me, boy, let's just go to church. It's a good thing to do on Sunday morning, so we go to church. So we can add Christ to our lifestyle, but really our heart and and our lives have really not changed at all. And that is my fear. As a pastor, as a preacher, we cannot, we cannot bear that. I cannot bear that. In my own mind, to think that there would be people in this room right now that are, are playing that game. They're just playing church. They've just added Christ to their busy lifestyle and they're just doing what they, doing what they want to do. That hurts my mind when I think about that. I don't like that fact. I don't like that idea. But you get a, a group this size and inevitably there's going to be people in here, in this room, that are unsaved. That are not believers. Christ, God, has not gotten a hold of their heart. They have not repented. Their minds are just the same as they have been. There's no change in their life at all. And for you, this message needs to be a warning. A warning of grave danger. That if your lifestyle is like this, things need to change. But notice what Paul does. He jumps... Well... Yeah, he jumps from the actions to the mind. And you think, what's the deal? Paul, you, you, you want us to walk worthy of the calling. Give us the actions. Tell us what you want us to do. But he jumps, he says, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. So you're expecting actions. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do the other thing. Don't do this. Don't do that. And you can come up with a list of a hundred things. But instead, Paul goes right to the heart of the matter. It's not your actions. It's not just your daily actions. You can put off a whole lot of things. You can turn over a new leaf. But Paul goes right to the heart of the matter. And that is where? It's the mind. The, the unsaved walk and act and conduct themselves the way they do because they think and they think like an unsaved. There's been no change in the mind. There's all kinds of warnings then for the believer. We'll get to that. The mind here really refers to the inside of the person. In, in the scripture, uh, what we see is there's an inside 
And then there's the outside shell, what we see. And the mind would include the heart. It would include the conscience and the will. That, that thing that enacts upon our thoughts. So it includes the heart and the intellect, the mind and the will. So he's talking about the inner person. But more specifically, the thinking element of that inner person. But no less the inner person. Sinful actions come from a sinful mind. Sinful actions come from a sinful mind. If you think, I can turn over a new leaf, I can do my own thing, or, or I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps, you give me a list of things and I can do them. If you want me to act like a Christian, I can act like a Christian. And Paul's saying, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. The point is your mind. You sin in your behavior because you're sinning in your mind. The battlefield for the believer is the mind then. And that's the scary place. And that's what we think, oh man, it can be beautiful. But boy, you walk into that thing. You go into that place and you realize there's a struggle going on here. There's a battle going on here. And it's not just a play thing. It's a battle of life and death. And so Paul paints this scary picture for us. This, this red flag, this warning sign for us. So often, well, here's what we see so often as Christians act, or Christians act like the unsaved because they think like the unsaved. They don't act like Christians because, because they're, they don't think like Christians. Paul has to address that. Paul can't just say, walk like Christ did, or just be holy. He has to get a little bit more specific to that. And then he has to point back, here's the way you used to walk. Now turn around and walk the other way. And that's the, that's the command. That's the heart of it. So Paul then has to address the mind. So, what I want to point out today is really kind of just the first steps... The first steps of a God-honoring lifestyle is to stop thinking and acting like the unsaved. It's very, very, very fundamental. But when you look at the rest of chapter 4, you'll see where Paul's going with this. But the very first step is simply to stop thinking and acting like the unbeliever. Don't go down that road anymore. Turn around and go the right direction. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. And so Paul introduces the mind. It controls, it's the, it's the control center for the action. So Paul has to deal with the mind. And he gives us, he gives us actually the mind and the, the, the will, the conscience, the, the inner person here. And he gives us three elements of the way the unbeliever mind is, of the way the unbeliever acts. And that's the question. The question is simply, what are, what are the unbeliever like? What, what do they like? What are they like? You see, if we're not supposed to walk like them in the futility of their mind, what are they like? Well, Paul gives us that. And you think, well, why? Why would he give us that? Well, we'll look at that in just a minute. And Paul gives us three characteristics of the mind, really, of the unbeliever, um, uh, his lifestyle, the way he thinks, what's going on inside this unbelieving person. And there's a progression here that I want you to see. But there's three things that Paul mentions here. In the futility of their mind. So he brings up the mind. First of all, they have an aimless mindset. It's aimless just simply means the word that's used here is futile. It fails to produce what they want. It fails to produce the desired result. In that sense, it's, it's empty. It's not productive. It's not successful. And that's exactly the way the unbelieving mind is. It's, it's just aimless. Note that the unbeliever here depends upon his own thinking. It's his mind. 
That's his thinking. He refuses to submit to God's thinking, and therefore he's going down his own road. He's the master of his destiny. So he's, he's, got, he's got it figured out. And Paul says it's aimless. It's not going anywhere. It's not going to produce what he thinks it's going to produce. It's futile. And there's several ways, but I'll, I'll mention a couple. Number one, it's aimless in, in its pursuit of happiness. The mind, the unsaved mind thinks, I can get happiness here. And so they pursue that mind just constantly. Oh, that looks attractive over there. That looks attractive over there. That looks, I'm going to go that direction. Paul says it's futile. It's futile. It, it doesn't produce the desired result when they seek after their own happiness. But number two, it's aimless when they seek after when they seek to please God. It's aimless. They cannot please God. In that state, they cannot please God. So if they come up with some religions, I'm gonna I'm gonna please God in this way. With this religion, with that religion, with another religion. Or let's make up our own religion. Or let's become our own idol and worship that. It's all futile. They're not going to please God with their minds until the first step is they submit their minds and submit their thinking to God's plan, God's thinking, and that is only through Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus Christ that's the first step to changing conduct and mindset is a repentance and submission to Jesus Christ who has died for our sins. <clears throat> That's the first step. But once that step is taken, once repentance is, it has been granted and forgiveness of sin, there's a new life there. There's new purpose. There's success. We can please God. We can even have a happy life. Even within struggles, even within difficult times, we can have joy and rest and happiness and peace. So our minds are not futile anymore. Our minds are productive. And we can put them in, and channel them in the right directions. When Christ, when we accept Christ, when we submit to God's plan for our life. It can happen. There's two terms, though, that Paul uses here for the mind. He says, Futile of their, futility of their mind, but look at verse 18, being darkened in their understanding. Understanding, that's their mind. Being darkened in their, in their understanding. So, their minds are not only futile, but their minds are darkened. Darkened. And this darkness is, is cave darkness. It is pitch black. It is, it is not just, well, a little dim. We, we're really not sure, but we think this is the way. You know, this is pitch black. This is, this is really, really, really dark. You've been in caves. Some of you work in mines. You know darkness. Um, that's, the, that's the understanding. Their understanding is darkened. Um, they lack spiritual light. There's spiritual darkness. There's a lack of spiritual understanding. And notice it's, a, it's in, it's in a, a present state, but it's in a continuous action. It, it's, it's a constant state of being that they are in this darkness, that their minds are in this darkness, and it's a continuous thing. Um, Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7, it says, always learning and never coming to the knowledge of truth. Isn't that a, a sad state of affairs? Always learning. Uh, just a craving for knowledge, a craving. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? How can, I, how can this book help? How can that uh, seminar help? How can this um, uh, class help me? We're constantly learning. But the reality is, in this frame of mind, we'll never come to the knowledge of truth. Always learning. Never reason our way to faith. It's a heart attitude. It's a heart. It's a mental thing. 
It's a submission to God's plan. It's a submission to God's will for our life, not our own, not in the futility of our own mind and the darkness of our own understanding. Another place in Romans chapter 1, Paul says, uh, they become futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts are darkened. And you can actually see, and that's talking about in that context, is God's judgment. They want to go down this road, and they will go down this road, and their hearts become darkness, darkened. Have you ever been in a corn maze? Well, this is the fall. Sometimes during the fall, in fact, I just got an advertisement a couple of weeks ago for these corn mazes. I don't know if you've ever been to one of these things, but they're pretty cool. You go up, and they have the... If you could see an aerial view of the, the maze, it would be... Uh, you know, be some kind of picture. It would be woven through this cornfield. And boy, once you get in, you think, when I get in there, okay, I'm going to remember. I'm going to remember now. I start here, and I, I'm looking from the top, or I'm looking at the map. I'm going to come out here, and I know how to do it. And you get in there, and you get right in the middle of that thing, and you realize you're as lost as everybody else. It's aimless. It's futile. It's dark. I have no way of knowing which way to go. And so you climb up these little things and you get up on the top so you can see. And then you think, okay, I'm going to remember, I'm going to remember. You climb back down there and you think, oh yeah, what do I have to do? You have to climb back up there and you look and you, oh yeah, I'm going to do it. It's, just, it's futile. So then, so what they do is they give you these long poles <laughs> so that you can carry these things around. And if you really get lost, I, I don't know what you do with this pole, but I guess you start waving this thing around and they'll come and rescue you. But there's people out in these watchtowers that are looking around for people that are completely lost. And that's never been me, by the way. <laughs> but I do speak of experience, don't I? But that's the mindset of the unbeliever. That's what he, that's the way he is. He, he doesn't know which way to turn. He doesn't know the direction of his life, but he knows he's got to do something. He knows he's, he's got to make a decision. So he just pursues this religion, or pursues this thing, or pursues whatever makes him happy. That's, that's what it is. And Paul says it's futile. And that's the way you used to live. And the futility of your mind being darkened and your understanding. And number two, well, Number two, he says, excluded from the life of God. Excluded from the life of God. Or, or they are alienated from God. They're independent of God. They're alienated from God. This is not by their choice, by the way. The context here bears it out that this is by God's choice. God has alienated himself from them. That's the idea. It's not that, well, I'm choosing to get away from God. Now, in the hardness of their heart, they do that... But it's because of their sinfulness that God says, no way, you're, not going to, you're alienated from me. God is not alienated from me, I'm alienated from God. The unbeliever is alienated from God. God is the one who is calling the shots here. The only thing we can do, and we'll see, refers to the heart. The heart. But notice that God is the source of life. And without that life, when we're independent of God, we are, um, we are spiritually dead. Because God is the light. or He's the life. He's the source of life. And then he goes on. We are alienated from God. Excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And because of the hardness of their heart. So he gives us two reasons. Why are they alienated from God? Why are they apart from God? Because of the ignorance that is within them. And that's talking about spiritual ignorance. Now we can blame that on Satan. We can say, well, Satan has blinded my eyes. Satan has caused it to be dark. But the reality is, folks, that we were born that way. We were born to gravitate toward our own independence, gravitate toward that own darkness, gravitate to that own blindness, and we're all too willing to accept Satan's Lies. We're all too willing to, to choose the, our own nature, choose the direction that Satan just wants to just lead us about. And that's what we do. That's what we do. We don't like it. As a believer, our, our minds have changed. We want to, we want to change things. And, um, so often we, we fall trapped to Satan and, but the unbeliever has no hope at all. They're trapped in this ignorance, spiritual ignorance, and it leads then 
Paul, what Paul calls in Romans chapter 1 a de- depraved mind. It's a depraved mind. and He says because of the hardness of their heart. Now this is the central core of everything. Everything else falls back from this. Because their heart is hardened, they are ignorant. Because, and then they were alienated from God. And then their hearts or their minds are futile. That's essentially what it's saying. And you can see the progression there. Now it goes also in reverse. And we'll see that in a minute. But it starts there. The hardness of their heart. You, your heart as a child. At least there's a conscience. And the parents build into that conscience. Um, and if there's any softness. It's going to be at that age. But as the, the child begins to grow, sin begins to happen in that child's life, or that child begins to squish that conscience, do those wrong things, his heart, one at a time, one act after another, one thought after another, begins to harden. Now we obviously are born in that. But, you know, as a child, if there's any time to reach a person for Christ, it's going to be in those early ages. And I, I, I just encourage this church to reach out and do children's ministry. You reach those children, get them in those, those stages of where the heart is still a little bit soft to the spiritual things, soft to maybe the gospel before the hardness of the world just sets into that heart. And there's hardness in spiritual things. There's hardness in, in godly morals. There's hardness to, 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 to spiritual truth. There's a hardness to the gospel. I'm reminded of the, the parable of the sower, where the sower goes out and he sows the seed among the different soils, and there's rocky ground, and there's, uh, there's grounds where there's weeds that will come up. But some of that ground is, is hard. It's packed. It's because there's a path there. People walk and walk and walk and the ground becomes just so hard. And you throw that seed on there, there's no penetration. Seed never germinates. Never comes up. That's the kind of idea, that's the idea here. The heart just becomes so hard to to spiritual things. And that, that leads then to the very next thing. Actually, just by way of application. Well... Let me say this. Um, this may sound strange, but we just had Halloween. And inevitably, there's going to be candy in my car. And the heat from the sun is going to come down into my car, and that candy is going to be wonderfully spread everywhere. Sun has that effect on candy, doesn't it? It melts that candy, and that candy just gets all over the place, and it usually winds up on my steering wheel. Because somebody else is driving my car, obviously. <laughs> Gets on my steering wheel, it's sticky. That same sun, though, hardens that half-eaten sand sandwich under my... It melts that candy, but boy, what's the effect on that, that, that sandwich, that bread? It's hard. It is a dangerous thing to sit under the truth of God's Word. It will either soften you and you will become more softened to the things of God or it will harden you. And it will do it one step at a time. One thought at a time. One action at a time. Your heart becomes harder and harder and harder and harder. That's the place that Paul leaves us right here. The hardness of their heart. And he says in verse 19, and they have become callous. That's the progression. The heart is, is so hard, they become calloused. It's, it goes from its aimless and mindset to alienation from God to the point that their heart is callous. And the idea there is they, they lose any kind of sensitivity to the things of the Lord. There's no shame. Their conscience is seared. It literally means just enable to feel pain. You have calluses on your hands. I mean, you could peel those things off. It, you know, it's, it doesn't hurt. Can you imagine calluses on your heart to the point that you cannot feel, cannot sense spiritual things? You cannot sense moral that moral tug anymore to do the right thing. 
And that's what Paul's saying. And that's the, that's the picture that he's painting of this ungodly lifestyle. It says that they have become, or have, having become callous, callous. When men continue to pursue, continually pursue, in following their own way, they will also eventually be confirmed in the choices they've made by God. You continue to go down this path, your heart continues to be hardened and hardened and hardened. At some point, God will just confirm that. Okay, you want a hard heart? I'll give you a hard heart. Pharaoh, perfect example. He hardens his heart to the things of the Lord. He's not even soft anymore. And he just his heart's hardened and God says, Okay, I will harden your heart. And that's a scary thing. It's a place we do not want to be. But every unbeliever, every unsaved person from the time they're born to the time they die, they're in that progression somewhere. That's the way it is. Those characteristics are characteristics of their life no matter how nice they are on the inside. And how nice they appear on the outside. It was said of Israel, Christ said of Israel, and in John chapter 12, Christ said, because they would not believe, they could not believe. They had reached that point. And Christ says, you will not go any further. You, you want to reject me? I'll let you reject me. You want your heart to be, heart to be hardened? I will harden your heart. Revelation chapter 22 verse 11 is another incredible verse. Let those who do wrong still do wrong. And let those who are, who, um, who is filthy, who are filthy still be filthy. There's a time when God says, okay, you want to be that way? I will, I will harden that heart. Folks, you may know people like that. But just be assured. That everyone, everyone has not reached that point, but they're moving toward that point. That's a scary thing. You know what? Uh, just by way of application to us believers, though, what can harden our heart? Sin can harden our heart. We, we are detached from sin as a, as, an unbelie- or as, an, as a believer. Sin doesn't have that grip on us. But you know what? We can go down that path. If we choose not to forgive, if we choose not to submit ourselves to God's commandments, if we choose to become bitter in our hearts, if we continue to be in our sin, we can become hardened. Now, if you're a genuine believer, you're not going to stay in that mindset. You will break at some point. But if you don't, just affirms the reality that you were not soft to the things of the Lord to begin with. Look what they do. Their heart has become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality. And that, the idea here is that's how their heart became callous. How did it get to that point? Well, they just gave themselves over. That's an intentional, deliberate act. I know that it's wrong, but I don't care. I'm running after this thing. You want to go down that road? Hard heart. Callousness. Callousness is the result. Sin is no longer hidden. It's indulged openly. And it involves sensuality. And sensuality refers to lasciviousness. The absence of, of any kind of normal restraints that the heart may have. There's some, some of that kind of within your children. They, they kind of know that. We, we want to reinforce those things. Because if they, we don't want them to get to this point. that they don't, There's no red flags coming up in their mind. When you pursue sensuality, when you pursue your own direction, I will do what I want to do, callousness as a result. It's like the whole self is unbridled, unselfish indulgence. Going down the path. Um, someone said, uh, one of the commentaries that I read, uh, this is sensuality, or uh, yeah, sensuality is a, um, 
is a disposition of the soul. It's the state of the soul. It's the way the soul is. Disposition of the soul incapable of bearing the pain of discipline. There's no more self-discipline there. There's no more restraint. Because that's too painful. I'd rather give in. Give in to that. Well, let's move on. There's one other element here. For the, the sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity and the motivation is greed. Greed seems to be the, always the motivation. It's not just greedy for money. That's the way we think. But it's, it's that internal desire that I've got to have it. It's that want. It's that, uh, it's that going after and pursuing. It's that desire, that covetousness, that it's been unbounded. Um, and it's that, that lust I'm going to pursue with that lust. You know, that's the kind of love that we have today. It's a greedy love. It's a love that says, what can I get out of this relationship? And that's our love. That's the kind of love that we have. That's supposed to be love. But it's, it's just greediness. How I can take that person and use that person to my advantage. It's just greediness. It's, it's built around my own desires. Well... This is a scary picture. This is a dangerous picture that we see. Now let me go um, and just address this real quick. Why did Paul, and if you have a handout, these, these are in the handout. and You can write these, these blanks in. Why did Paul give us this? I look at this scary picture, I look at this, and I think, Paul, don't you want to forget those things and press forward? Well, let me give you some reasons why Paul might have given this to us. As Christians, number one, as Christians, we need to know the potential of our own sinfulness. I think we forget that, yes, we can go down that. We can be as vulnerable as we can be. This is what God has rescued us from. And and it is very easy to slip back into that old mindset. And Paul says, don't do it. Number two, to have a greater appreciation have a greater appreciation for what God has done for us. When you look at this picture, you think, how in the world would I ever choose Christ? And the answer is, you won't. Unless God interjects into that mind. And softens that heart through the rain, through the cultivation. That will now happen. And so, that, that just brings out an appreciation in my heart for what God has done for us. Number three, it motivates us to evangelize. It should motivate us to evangelize. When we, when we listen at the lifestyle of the Gentiles, the unbeliever, we think they can't stay in that situation. It's a dangerous situation. We've got to help them. We've got to get them out of that situation. It's a motivation. Motivation to evangelize. Number four, so that we, so that we can sympathize and develop a heart for the unsaved. We can understand the, the way they think, what they're coming, where, the direction they're coming from. We can understand that. We can sympathize with that because the Lord has saved us from that. And Paul's reminding us this is the way they think, this is the way they live their life. We need to be reminded, number five, to realize the power of sin. To realize the power of sin and the blinding ability of Satan. It's blinding, folks. We don't realize how bad we are. The unbeliever doesn't realize how sinful they are. But it also helps us to realize the power of God. We can can see the power of sin and the grip that sin can have on a person's life and the way it holds that person in the mind. We can understand that. But it also reveals the power of God to break through that sinful, hard-hearted mind. And that way of thinking, the power of the gospel is incredible. It's much stronger than that heart can ever be. Number six, should be as a motivation to stop living this ungodly way and to commit to never go back. I'm not going to put my hand to the plow and then turn around. I'm not going back to that. That's a scary place. That's a battlefield. I don't want to go there. There's too much danger. 
So it's a motivation to stop. And that's what Paul's wanting it to be. That motivation. Realize what God has rescued you from. Let that motivate you to come out of that. And to, to vow never go back there. How do we do that? Well, Paul's going to give us the answer. Verse 20. But you did not learn Christ in this way. And he goes right into how do we deal with the mind. It's not an ungodly mind. Now, what do we do with that? We'll look at that next week. Number seven, there's one more. To get a realistic picture of our life before God. Realistic picture. That's the way it really was. Like I said, it's scary. You know, um, my son was only two years old at the time. But if he was older, or if we would go back to the Grand Canyon today and he would look over that ledge... And he would see, Dad, I climbed up here. He would, he would probably get so scared. I was so scared. When we saw that, when my wife saw that, I, we were scared because we realized the danger. Well, let's close in prayer. Gracious Lord, we just depend upon your grace and your mercy. Lord, you're so kind to us, and in allowing us to uh, allowing us to, to to know your grace and to bring us from the pits, from the the cliff, from that dangerous point, and rescue us, and to draw us back, to bring us into your loving arms. Lord, what a precious thing! What a good thing! Lord, help us to be reminded of that. Lord, if there's one here, if there's somebody here that doesn't know you, if there's someone here that, are, that is still living in that, gospel, that ungodly mindset of aimlessness, of alienation from you and, and hardness and callousness of the heart, I pray, Lord, it's not too late. We know. We know that you can, you can break through that stony path. Through water and cultivation, you can cause that seed of the gospel to grow and to flourish. Lord, they must repent. They must forsake this and, and follow you. But Lord, that heart can be changed. What a powerful thing. What a miraculous thing. Lord, I, I pray that you would allow this passage to grip our own hearts. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.